Hey everyone, welcome, welcome to the Team Flower Podcast. My name is Kelly and we are going to dig right in today. Uh, if you're new here, I just want to let you know that we talk about flower discoveries. We have an interview with a special guest. A lot of times that is a floral designer, but we have all kinds of different people from the flower world here. So no matter what you do with flowers, uh, whether you grow, design, create, sell, give, uh, give flowers if flowers are a part of your life and you resonate with the mission of loving the world through flowers, this is the right place for you. You have found um, a family to dream with. So let's dig in. Welcome to the Team Flower Podcast. I'm here with my team. Hi, team. Hi. (laughs) And we're here with all of you. Say hi back. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to pretend I heard it. Um, But no, really, it's so fun when you say hi back, even if I'm not actually there to hear it. I feel it in my heart. I believe somewhere across the air. Driving in their car right now, yelling hi to us. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for that. If you just yelled in your car or in your house, hi back to us, write in and let us know on the chat widget on Team Flower. Did you receive the message, message, message? Yes, exactly. It really, it really helps. It is, sometimes it can be hard to like do stuff, but not actually get to hear back from you. So I love hearing back from you. So red button on the Team Flower website um, you can rate and review in the podcast, um, app as well. That's another way that we can get a little bit of, um, feedback from you, but yeah, we can give you a high five, say, say hi. So anyway, cool. Well, today we've got an amazing special guest. We've also got some, um, fun flower discoveries. We're going to start there with Amanda. Hi guys. So I wanted to jump in and talk about an article um, on the Team Flower blog written by Team Flower member Lily Roden. Um, It's titled Four Practical Steps to a More Inclusive and Ethically Diverse Brand. And I loved this article. It is very, very good. And she shares actionable tips like they're easy to implement in your everyday work. It's so approachable, very practical. And my absolute favorite is her first one, which she calls checking our bubble. And this is often the first step. It's one of the hardest steps, I think, when we're um, creating more inclusive and ethically diverse brands or even just friend circles in our lives. But it requires some in-depth uh, self-examination and exploration, but it's so important, not only in our work with flowers, but how we love the world through flowers and in our world as a whole. Um, and I do know, I think it's September, Kelly, again, correct me uh-huh. if I'm wrong, yeah, but um, we mm-hmm. have Laura and Leah Palmer of the Wild Mother specifically speaking on building, affirming, equitable, and just brands. But this article is a great place to start if you haven't been exploring this idea in your floral work before. Um, And really the steps are just like, anyway, Lily does a really good job of giving us some tools just to begin with. Yeah, she really does. And Laura and Leah, they have just recently last month released a course that kind of takes you into like a deep dive on this topic. And I have not taken that course specifically, but I've taken one of their previous, um, previous courses. And I just felt like that it was so helpful. And it's amazing because why it's like, it's just a conversation. It's a conversation that 
needs like its own, it needs to be integrated obviously into the things that we're talking about every day, but it, it also is like so deep. It needs like a place to have like this deep dive conversation. And that is the type of environment that they've set up over there, which I'm so thankful for because it's not, I mean, we can do a quick mention here or do a quick mention there just about like, like anything. It, it, it's just, it, it's one of those topics you can really just dig into deep. And so um, I'm so thankful for them creating the community and the space um, to be able to do that over there. And um, yeah, so anyway, let's do it. Um, okay. Next, I'm going to pass it over to Janine and uh, yeah, take it away. Yeah. Speaking of loving the world through flowers, um, I, I know that there are so many different ways that we can do that. Um, and one of those is loving on our community, um, whether it be through a sort of nonprofit that you do through your own business, or um, maybe you run a nonprofit yourself and you're giving flowers to those in your community. And um, I just really appreciate when people, when people are intentional about doing that. Um, I came across, um, Melanie at Dahlia May Flower Farm in Canada, follow her on Instagram. And she's had like, she shared on there. She's had a really rough couple of years, but all the while she has really been championing this initiative to bring flowers into their long-term care facilities in Ontario, um, for free. Um, free of charge for the for the residents there and they just got to do their first like uh, I guess initiative of that and they have been able to give flower arrangements to over over 150 seniors um, in those in those homes and they have countless more that they're arranging to give flowers to and it's been so neat just to watch even her the local community there who aren't in the floral industry give into this initiative to make it happen. So um, it's been inspiring to me because I think that oftentimes I, I wonder like, well, how can I, how can I do this as like a one person show, but it shouldn't be. Not only are we all in this together as a floral industry, but our local communities, we're here to serve one another, um, whether we're in different industries or not. So um, yeah, I just, I just have really appreciated that and have been, um, mulling over it for a couple of days and just, I don't know what the, the next step in my own personal floral journey looks like, but, um, I definitely foresee something like this kind of in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's always been something that's been on your heart that you have loved and that I really appreciate about you. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. One more. Get your pen and paper out, except if you're driving or have the knife, as mentioned before. Um, Squarespace templates, Jason, talk about it. Yeah. So I, when was that podcast we did, Kelly? I feel like it was a while ago, but I talked about Squarespace. And if you're using that as your platform for your website, um, I recently, have discovered this separate company that kind of builds Squarespace, Squarespace templates for you. Now, if you know Squarespace, they kind of already have templates and you kind of just build off of them. So this company is called Big Cat Creative 
and the owner is Australia. And so if you do purchase a um, template from her and it, you get like the tutorial videos, she has a wonderful accent and it makes it kind of fun <laughs> going through these tutorials. But um, she kind of lays it out really well um, of building this really beautiful template. So I have been going through her little packet of buying a template and building it myself. And I'm not like a super whiz with building <laughs> websites, but it was really laid out super simple. So if you're looking to revamp your own website and you use Squarespace, I suggest looking at them. They really make really cool templates that are different than the standard templates that Squarespace provides. Um, but yeah, look them up, Big Cat Creative. Awesome. Thanks, cool. Jason. Okay, let's head over and talk to Natasha, who is a flower grower. And... Um, she has so much great information to share. I know it's, it's springtime. So it, it's one of those times where you can kind of like get a little bit of a start. If you wanted to start growing flowers, uh, you can do some experimenting at this time of year, but, um, really this is, if you're brand new, this is a year where you want to absorb, 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 plan, 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 and then, um, get yourself some phase one, phase two, phase three goals put in place, because anytime you're growing something, it is 100% a process, but this is a really great episode for you to hop into. She also does a lot of, um, different types of revenue streams. So I think you'll enjoy hearing about those and, um, might get your, your wheels turning on, um, some things that you might want to do in the future, whether it's growing flowers or not. Um, and I also just wanted to mention if you are really feeling serious about that, you want to get a garden going and all those kinds of things. There's an, there's a class that I teach with, um, Kathleen while Kathleen teaches it. And, and I'm there asking all of the questions that a newbie would want to know about, um, in seed starting and getting a cut flower garden going and growing. She has been doing this for, oh goodness, over, over 20 years. I want to say something like 26. Um, she is retired now and she is passing all of her, all of her hard won information along to a new generation of growers, which I appreciate and have so much respect for. Um, so anyway, we, um, I just wanted to mention that if that's somewhere that you might want to go into like a little bit of a, of a deeper dive um, with us over at Team Flower, uh, you might want to do the growing class. And we also have some uh, growing classes led by our friend Linda Doan at Aunt Willie's Wildflowers that are pretty focused on like varieties that you would use for a wedding. So anyways, head over there, check it out. But if you're brand new, brand new to growing and looking for a place to start, Kathleen's classes are just an incredible foundation course for that. So, okay, let's head over and talk to Natasha. Today, our special guest is Natasha McCrary and she has 18, 18, Farms in Mooresville, Alabama, the historic village of Mooresville, population fifty-eight, um, is uh, that's where that's where eighteen eighteen farms is located, and eighteen eighteen farms is named for the year that Mooresville was incorporated, one year before Alabama became a state. Uh, the happy, it, so they do all kinds of fun things on their farm. First, they have happy animal residents. So they have like rare baby dolls, south down sheep, mini pigs, Nubian goats, great Pyrenees guardian dog. And then in the field adjacent, there are over 12,000 flowers showing off 
gorgeous colors. Um, all of those, of course, being lovingly cared and tended to bringing lots of beauty for the moment and providing seeds for future seasons. Um, 1818 Farms also manufactures a line of handcrafted bath and lifestyle products that are available in retail locations throughout the United States. And they recently launched a new from the farm product line that features dried flowers, which is definitely something that's trending today and people want to know more about. So I'm excited to have you on today, Natasha. Welcome. Oh, hey, Kelly. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> tell us a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about this new product line with your dried flowers. Well, we're really, we've been uh, just so excited about this new line. Uh, we started really, anytime you launch something new, it takes about a year the drying was a different, a little bit of a different aspect. And we have a lot of questions about that. You know, it, there's really an art to drying. And what we were trying to do is everything we do at the farm, we try to um, do it sustainably using, you know, be su sustainable with sustainability. And it was really a season extension also. So we launched that a soft launch, I'd say last year, but then, uh, a, you know, a hard launch this year at holiday. And, we put together some different types of gift boxes that you could actually ship. That's one of the challenges with dry to shipping is the breakage. And really for us, it just brings everything full circle. Um, the reason with the dried is we're going to have zero waste at the farm. And, you know, we treat our dried flowers just like you treat if you're cutting for a wholesale order or if you're cutting, you know, to do a, a, a home delivery you know, you treat the dried exactly as you would that, you know, cutting them at peak. And then we have a whole process that we use in drying. And it was not only just for um, season extension, but also I think there is, like you're saying, I believe it's a, it really is a trend. I think in the 80s, I remember my mom having the dried flowers. And but it's a I'd, I say these are not your mom's dried flowers because there's so much more variety than what you saw in the 80s. But it's just been really um, the way our customers have been passionate about the dried is just even for us, you know, been overwhelming and it's really leading us to new products that hopefully we'll be launching out in 2021. Really cool. Tell us about the, um, the bath and lifestyle products too. Could yeah. So the bath uh, line, we began, opened the farm in two, uh, 2012, which is hard to believe it's, you know, I'm getting closer and closer to a 10 year mark. And really, you know, when we started, we were just going to be a farm that grew produce and cut flowers and do a lot of agritourism and have event special events. But in our climate here, we found out quickly that once frost hits, the farm is not really a beautiful place to have guests. So you were looking from November until March, really, where there was no revenue stream. So I thought, you know, I'd really like to have some products with simple ingredients that really work. And so from that, I began taking at that point, we had a, we grew a lot of lavender at our farm using the lavender we had dried from the season before to create soaps and uh, soaking salts. And, you know, I had a, every product that we've manufactured came out of a need where, let's say, I don't like to wear, I prefer not to wear a garden glove. So I have terrible cuticles. So I wanted a cuticle balm or my skin just from being out in the elements, you know, even in the winter or in the summer, so much uh, sun or it's the cold it, dryness. So all the products were developed out of a, out of a personal need, but also what we did at that point is we were more of an agritourism venue as people love the animals. They love the little baby doll sheep and they love fair faucet, the goat, and they love the little pig. So we took that and we tried to create a cover guy or a cover girl for each product that is one of our little uh, farm animals here. 
and it's, it's so done really good. well. So so, yeah, so it's done really well. My mother-in-law does all the pencil sketches for us. So it's really, truly is a family affair. But it's, you know, over the years, it's sort of like, you know, and that's kind of the reason we went to dry it. I can't, we don't ship the uh, fresh flowers, but it was a way for me to bring, you know, not just the beauty of flowers into uh, other people's homes, but that's kind of the way we looked at it with the bath line is people love the animals. It was a way of them to get a little piece of the farm if they lived in Alaska or if they lived in Texas. So it was sort of a way to touch the customers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, that's really neat. I love how all of those things work together and um, have just really you've been able to over the years develop this uh, year round piece that's able to touch a lot of different types of people in a lot of different types of way. I think that's really special and the variety is really important, but you already know that as a flower farmer, having a lot of variety in the things that you're doing leads to a, a happier, happier farm. So I thought it could be fun to talk about planning for a flower farm with you. I know that that's something that you're really passionate about and feel is just truly key to having a successful growing season. So treat us like new farmers. Tell us, um, tell us mom us for a minute. Do you mind momming us for a minute and tell us what, what we need to know, um, about that. I would love to do that because I received a lot of, uh, Instagram, Facebook messages from upcoming flower farmers. And probably the number one mistake that is made is poor planning. Um, a lot of people like today, I got a message from someone who's new and they want to purchase the plugs. Well, you know, I purchased the plugs months ago or they're wanting ranunculus corms. Those were purchased in May. I mean, for, you know, it's just, I don't think people realize it's a little bit different. If you're a florist, you know, you, you can probably get what you want. You go, you know, you order, but if you're the grower, you have to be thinking almost eight months ahead of time, or you're not going to have the varieties that you would like. And there takes a lot of planning. Also, Um, We have a YouTube channel that we recently launched and we do a lot of how-to videos and just, I tried this year looking at it from the perspective of a new flower farmer, like you have to be preparing, even though there's still flowers in the field in October, you're preparing for what do I want to have in February? And you may have to pull things and remove things. You don't always wait till they're spent in the field, but that is definitely, I'd say you, you need to be thinking almost a year in advance as you're planning your fields because like for us, we do rotational, um, we rotate our crops so we can put in cover crops. So we're not just, just pulling all the natural um, elements out of the soil. We're always feeding the soil. So there's just so much in the planning and, you know, I, I encourage people think ahead and, and, and you'll get better. Like for me, I know that I have to be ordering certain things in May that aren't going to go in the ground till November, but it's just, you really have to be planning and thinking what, what's going to, what do I need then? But also you have to be aware of trends. You know, I try to really, Instagram is a great thing for that as, you know, following what trends are going to be and, you know, colors, what people are going to be wanting. And they always change. You sort of know wedding designers, what they're always going to want, but you know, you have to be thinking so far ahead or else you're going to be just totally miss, miss the game. So, to me, it sounds like to do this type of work, you need to have a really structured day, especially in the height of some of these harvest times. Like, what does the ratio look like of the amount of time in your day that you spend planning for that, you know, eight months to a year in advance? Like, how much time do you need to spend planning 
while you're actively out there, you know, tending to an explosion of flowers in the field, how do you structure, how do you structure your day to keep everything flowing and on track? Right. And this, it's a good question, Kelly, because it really, when you're also offering dried, that's another whole element you're planning for. So let's say a typical day for us, if we start at 6 a.m., you know, we may be cutting in the morning, doing home deliveries for home bouquets or, or wholesale orders. And then the end of the day, which could go into seven or eight at night, we could be cutting straight for dry to go into the drying room. So there's so much planning in that you need to be thinking about, okay, if I'm going to offer these 200 gift boxes, I'm going to have to have 200 bouquets, but I'm not going to need those bouquets until October. We put them together for holiday, the dried flowers. So you've got to be managing also what you're drying as well as what's going out the door because you don't want to have a, a I don't want to, I don't want it to come till January, February and I have no product to offer. So there's so much planning, you know, and also we offer bouquet subscriptions. So in my mind yesterday, what I was doing is sitting here thinking, okay, you know, we have new routes where we're going to be, we deliver, we home deliver hours contactless. So we've got new routes this year. We've got to figure out, you know, Luckily for us, we've more than doubled what we had last year. So we're now figuring, trying to balance out planning. Okay, when can I offer a bloom, stroll, and bouquet workshop? Because now I have X number of subscriptions. I have to also fulfill each month as well as the bouquets of the day. So I think every day there's constant planning. Otherwise, you're never going to have enough product, quality product, I should say, to get to your customers. So you have to be a planner, but you also have to be able to turn your business if something, you know, you have a crop failure. I mean, that can happen. Like last year we had a huge, uh, our eucalyptus, we lost every eucalyptus plant. Well, we, I think we had three from root rot because we had a very wet winter and that changed quickly. I had to quickly try and come in with new filler for BKs. So you, you also, sometimes your best plans don't ever come to fruition. So you just have to be very aware. This is just something where you, every day you're, you're planning the next day, the next day, the next day out to the next six months. Mm, So this is for somebody who likes to have something new every day um, that they're, that they're thinking through and likes to move, move between things a lot. Yeah. I'm amazed. I'm just, I'm, I am amazed at this because I would like to do podcasts all day for the whole day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I think it's really beautiful how we're all, um, we all have unique gifts and talents in ways that our brains work. Right. And so, um, yeah, just kind of understanding that that's a, that's a piece of running a business that looks like that with those different types of, um, you know, those different types of revenue streams requires a lot of um, switching back and forth between them in the moment and being incredibly flexible and innovative when things go wrong and kind of letting some of those things that maybe didn't go quite right, just you kind of have to just let them go quickly and move on to the next thing. So what did you use whenever your eucalyptus, um, whenever your eucalyptus failed, what did you do? Oh, it was terrible, Kelly. It was, well, we did a lot of, uh, for Cynthia, which I'm not a huge fan of, but when you're trying to look for a filler and then we, I put in a lot of different mints last year. So the mint, we used that a lot. Um, and then, you know, we were holding, that was the problem. We use, uh, pineapple sage, a lot of basil. We use the raspberry greens, but what happened is, you know, typically our 
eucalyptus overwinters. And we used, uh, I filled in with Persian cress because that could come in quickly, you know, really fast. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, luckily we had a great bupurum uh, crop so that we were able to fill in, but it's still, you know, everyone loves eucalyptus. I mean, if you had to choose one thing you're going to have, you can never have too much eucalyptus. Um, So, you know, it was just, you had to come up with something that could come in quickly. And luckily with the mint and uh, those other things, the cress, it's still not as beautiful as eucalyptus, but that's what you have to do um, is kind of fill in that way. But it also affected us too, because a lot of that, we knew that went into our dried. So, you know, it takes, for us, our new plants didn't mature until really, we didn't start cutting off of those a lot until August this year. And then now, you know, we are hoping they overwinter, but you know, we had those other plants three or four years. They were, t- they were probably six feet tall, all the, tr- all the eucalyptus bushes that we had. Mm-hmm. So we, it was mm-hmm. very disappointing, but yeah, but we made the mm-hmm. best of it, you know, and then um, that's all you can do is just move forward. And, uh, you know, we did use some camellia also. Like I was, for, I was foraging pretty much anything I could find around, <laughs> around the farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You probably discovered a few new things that you could use that you didn't maybe realize that were there. And I love that you brought up the forsythia because I feel like that is such a good, like planted in the way back of your, your yard or your farm or wherever, and you just kind of forget about it, but when you need it, it's there all year long in different, in different ways. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, I have, I'm curious if you've ever grown Sweet Annie on the farm. Are you familiar with that? Okay, I am. And it's interesting, you know, a couple of years ago, I put, uh, we were going to grow that and we, it just didn't do well where we planted it. And so I have the seed for that this year that okay. I'm going to put in, um, you, you know, I've kind of, I've, I've, that was in more of the beginning years when I was doing that. And now I've kind of realized more of you know, where are we going to get less sunlight and where do I think it will, it'll handle. It's strange, even in a field, even though you soil test, things grow differently in different areas. Like we have one zone, Mm -hmm. zone two, that we heavily amended again this, this fall. That's just very clay. I mean, even though we've, we amend all the time. So, you know, things grow differently and depending on how the root system is, you're going to have different results from a plant. So we've got that, the seed. I, I typically, I direct seed a lot of our field and use plugs. Um, I don't do as much seed starting in years past, especially when we were doing vegetables. I did a lot, but now we're hundred percent flowers other than the raspberries, but it just takes so much time and labor to do the seed starting. We were doing like in the back of our warehouse, you know, it wasn't like we had a greenhouse and just when you bump them up in size for me, um, the way we grow and so much we can direct seed in this zone it just financially didn't make sense for us. We, you know, buying purchasing plugs just is a lot more uh, cost efficient for us. Mm-hmm, but that mm-hmm. is one thing I'm going to try to do is the uh, sweet Annie. Cause that's not something you really can find. You know, you find a plug of that, or I've never seen that before, but I did purchase yeah. the seeds for that this fall. Oh, good. I'm so happy. It just, it's not, okay. I mean, it's not, it's not not beautiful, but it's not, it's not like a really pretty thing I guess <laughs> but it smells so beautiful and I I just think it's an incredibly special texture texture kind of piece so I'm glad to hear that that is um going to be planted down there in Alabama and I'll have some up here in uh up here in Pennsylvania as well and I am totally just echoing what you've said about how how different things grow differently, even on the same, you know, on the same plot of ground. I, and also how purchasing plugs is really nice for some people and sometimes a business model. So for myself, 
I don't have any, I don't have a flower farm, but just a, a big garden, um, a big garden to live on, but I purchased plugs and I mixed all the plugs up and I put some of the front garden, the side garden and the back garden and, um, had sweet Annie in a, in all of the different locations and in a pot and all the things. And it was really interesting just to observe where did it go crazy bonkers and get to be six feet tall. And, uh, where did it grow just to be two feet and kind of, you know, keeled over. So it was really helpful and informational just getting used to this new space that I'm growing in to try flowers that I know and love, but in different parts of the garden and see which ones were happiest where. So that's really helped and guided a lot of um, decisions for this upcoming year in the garden. But boy, did it ever look like a, a crazy polka dotted mess last year. <laughs> But, but I think you're right. It does help to try different things, you know, different areas. Like there was one area last year I felt like Lysiantha. So I was just it's kind of rocky and it's a different zone. And I thought these year we planted half the row. Our rows are 72 foot long. And I said, we're not planting anymore. We're moving back over to the other section. That section did the best of any of our Lysianthas. I'm like, I guess they love this poor, terrible soil or not terrible. It was very rocky. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're going to move everything back there this year because we just tested one section and we were like, can you believe this? So it is, I think you do have to do trial and error, error with things to see how it's going to grow. And, and I think from year to year, it can change based on the rainfall, you know, if you're having a drought, that kind of thing. It is, I think, harder on us. Like we do ground cover with the holes that are burnt in just because otherwise we'd spend all of our days weeding. Um, and that really heats up you know, heats up the, uh, the area around the roots. So I think, you know, that kind of, you have to play with that by ear, you know, you can never put a dahlia in there. It's, it's just, not, it's going to burn the roots up and it's never going to perform, but it is good to do trial and error. And I've tried the dahlias and it did not work that way. You know, I've done it both ways, but it's, you know, to kind of see what's going to, where are things going to be happy? Like I, I sent a geranium, I planted it in one year for two, one place for two years and I moved it and it was, I thought it was going to be more shaded. This was too hot and it was the worst we've ever had last year. So it just is, I, I encourage people to really, you know, trial and error. I always say, you know, it's a learning experience. If you have a failure, you're going to kind of, you're going to learn, get something out of it and maybe move on and move it around next year. And you may end up having, you know, the docus that we moved last year was the best it's ever been. So mm -hmm. try that. Don't just get so set in your ways. You may have a, a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Well, I feel like with growing, even if you do find like the perfect spot for, you know, a particular flower to grow over here and it does really well or whatever, the soil is always changing. Like you're saying, the rainfall is changing, the weather's changing. There's all of these variables. And I think that we just desperately want to, um, we desperately want to control all of them and know that when we put something in the ground, that it's going to be successful. But that is just not the way that it works. So I was wondering if there are a few things that aren't variables that you do at your farm that you maybe learn trial and error the hard way, but that are very easily repeatable and give you um, the space to be able to deal with some of these things that are more unpredictable. Like for example, um, maybe your rows were like four feet wide, but you took them back to three feet wide and that was like saved you so much time on harvesting or you, the way that you um, set up stability for your rows or I don't know, different things like that, that, that could easily be repeated anywhere that just make room for all of the variables and the problem solving that have to happen. Do you have any tips for something yeah, like that? Well, the hardest part with us is um, 
what like this year is going to be a big jump for us is we have to move all our zinnias this year because you can only plant them so many, so many years in the same spot. So Mm -hmm. because of the disease, so we're moving them. And uh, one thing that I, you know, that I like to do, which, you know, I can't, the way our irrigation is set up, there's no room to move the rows. Like they have to be four feet because then it gets into a bigger um, problem of that's how all of our zone irrigation, we do drip tape underneath. Um, this year, we're going to have to do a little bit of adjustment on the drip tape because we plant the front quadrants this year. We really planted a lot more cool flowers. Um, and so we're going to have to move things where the lisianthus have always been. They require a tighter spacing. But, um, you know, I try and think uh, there's so much to think about where you can't move. is just because of the way if, you know, the sun's coming east to west, you know, we can't move the taller thing. You know what I'm saying? The taller things have to be on the west side. So for the shade, everything's shading. So there's not as much movement, but I think you just become faster in processes when you do them over and over. Um, you know, I think about how fast we are at putting down the tarp, lifting the tarp, tilling the irrigation, but unfortunately there aren't as many shortcuts that I've been able to make as far as, uh, when we get into moving things, it's going to be a little more difficult because you, we plant on a certain, um, uh, spacing. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. the movement of there, but it's, you know, I'm kind of a funny person and I love to color block the whole field. And so that also gets into, it drives everyone crazy. It works for me because I'm like, it can't, this can't go here because it's not going to look good with the orange. You know, everything is color blocked also because I look at the field as if you're an artist, you know, it's your artist palette, your color palette. And so I want, if someone's looking even with a drone shot, that's going to look beautiful and that the colors kind of flow together on the color wheel. But yes, mm-hmm. I, wish I, I, more, I wish I had more shortcuts, but I don't know if I have very many, you know, as far as that goes, just because we're so locked in the way our fields are set up that we don't have much room for uh, adjustments at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've just, there's so many great things that you've shared. Um, I was going to maybe give up on the Cientis, but now I'm thinking that I do have a really rocky spot that maybe they might like. So I might try that again. And you said they like tight spaces. So yeah, tighter, the better. If you could get down to six, I'd say six inches. Uh, we go on nine. If we could get down to six, we could, we don't really have a good, like I said, we'd have to add one more line in irrigation and we're at our peak, how we could be. So we do on the nine inch, but mm-hmm. the tighter, the better. I mean, it's, it's really to me, that's our toughest flower that we grow. I mean, I know you look at it and, and we've got a new variety we're trying. It's uh, I think it's from Japan this year that I've got, I'm excited about. It's very beautiful. Um, it is the toughest flower. I mean, we've, uh, it's just shocking to me. It dries beautifully. It lasts in the vase so long. It takes these hot, humid summers here, but I just call it, it's the star of the show to me. I, you know, I know there's a lot of people who dahlias are their thing, but it's just so hard for me to compare that to the base life in the, that we get out of the Lysianthus. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, Lysianthus, one of your favorites. How about four more top favorite flowers that you think are really important to have in the garden? Well, I would have to say the anemones and ranunculus, I mean, uh, ranunculus, those have to be in your top five just because those are such the, uh, that's the the spring star of the show, I feel like. Um, And and it's also, when I think of that, it's kind of the the new birth of spring every year when you finally see that first anemone. Usually it's going to be, we got some uh, Linton roses or hellebores that are coming in right now, but that to me lets me know, hey, we're about to start 
swinging and making bouquets. Um, and then I would probably say celosia because it's such a backbone of what we grow with the hot, you know, here it grows. I mean, I think you could just take the seed and throw it out in the dirt and it's going to grow. Uh, but it's so great versatile as far as fresh or dried. It's the backbone of a lot of our dried flowers. And then I know people are going to probably, it's the worst to harvest, but it's the gomfrina because there's so many varieties that we have in colors. And it, it's so great as your, you know, as a pop of color in the bouquet and also in the dried. Like in my mind, I, I ha it has to kind of fit in to be in those tops, dried and fresh. And so mm -hmm. I think those would have to be my top five. Great. Gomfrina is a really, it is a really cute one. Holds its color really well too. It, it is the worst to harvest though. I tell you, we were cutting it. We were harvesting this year because we would harvest maybe a thousand stems a day to dry. And one of my girls who works with me said, we were saying we probably need to hire another person next year because the dried's taking up so much of her time. And she was like, well, please do not let it be. The, don't make me be the one. That, all I do is harvest gomfrina all day. And I said, I know, because it's so tedious to harvest. It's it's probably that and bachelor buttons are the, you know, just so tedious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All those little, little, little stems coming up there for sure. Aw. Cool. Well, I have, I just have one more question. I don't know if it's a quick one though. So you, you tell you can make it as quick as you'd like it to be. But I was just wondering with having all of these different projects that you're working on, what is a way, how do you, um, how do you communicate with your team to keep everybody on track and just, you know, understanding what the next important priority is? How do you communicate all of that out to your team? Yeah, well, we try. It's, it's interesting for us, too, because we have two separate locations. So one location is our manufacturing facility and then one is the farm. So sometimes we may go a few months not in person with the other, you know, the other team. So we try and have, mm -hmm. you know, uh, quarterly or six month meetings. It kind of depends on that. But then basically we know at the far, flower farm, you know, we use group me a lot, but we're, we kind of know, luckily I have a, and this is one thing I tell for anyone who's out there is, you know, you're only as, I've said this so many times when I've been interviewed is you're only as great. Your companies are going to be only as great as your employees. And I have great employees who treat this business as their own, but they've been with me a while. So I'm not having to go back every year to square one and let's retrain like they sort of know this is the this is what we do in january this is what we do in february this is what we do in march and then we you know I, that's you know that really helps not having to go and rehire new people every time um mm -hmm. i think for us you know we kind of at the beginning of the month know we know you know when subscriptions are going to go but we're also you know it, the thing with being a farmer and being a kind of a florist too is you've got to work in that time in the day when that we don't know when someone's going to order a condolence or they're going to order a bouquet for a birthday, you know, those pop in, you've got to have flexibility in there also, but we do a lot of, you know, planning, especially on a Friday to kind of know what's the next week going to be like. And we lay out a lot of our events, a lot of our events here, we lay out in February. It's been a little different with COVID because most of our on-farm events were canceled other than the bloom strolls and bouquet workshops because we could, you know, handle that and, and have the social distance we need needed. But there's a lot of, uh, you know, having a master calendar is another thing that we'll do. And then you kind of know what, you know, what's, when's someone have vacation or what's coming up. But I think the key is having that calendar of knowing when the events are coming and when we're going to be really, you know, churning it out to, especially when you prepare for the bloom strolls and the bouquet workshop, there's a lot of prep that goes into making that event special for the, for the attendees. 
Mm, really helpful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Natasha, can you tell everybody where they can find you on your YouTube channel and Instagram and website and all of those kinds of things where they can find your dried flowers? I know there's several people who've been asking, you know, where can I find dried flowers? Um, tell us where we can connect with you about all those different things. And cuticle cream, we all need it. Oh yeah. If you're using your hands, you do. No. Okay. It's very simple. Just 1818 farms on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, um, and our YouTube channels also 1818 farms. And then our website's just 1818farms.com. And we'll be adding a lot more dried, you know, we, we did a lot of, um, uh, pop-ups this year and before holiday with special orders for dried crosses. And we did a dried flower initials and wreaths and then bundles. And so, that's one thing we're going to be doing this week is assessing, okay, what inventory do we have left and you know, how, how do we want to sell this? So I'm feel like for Valentine before Valentine's day, probably mid January, end of January, we'll have all the bundles up and, you know, it's interesting, you know, we found a way you can ship. That was our biggest challenge with dried is the breakage. So we shipped packages back to ourselves to people, you know, until we got just the packaging just right. So hopefully the, you know, next round of dried, will be going up on the site by the end of January. Perfect. Very, very cool. And everybody, now we've just learned a, a fact about the state of Alabama. So now everybody can remember that Alabama became a state in 1819 because 1818 Farms is for the year that it was incorporated, one year before <laughs> it became a state. <laughs> Thank you for that little, thank you for that little tidbit history fact that we got to learn along with all of these fun things about flowers. It's been so fun to have you here, Natasha. Th or Natasha, thank you for, um, thank you for what you're doing in the world of flowers. We really appreciate you. Oh, thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it. All right, let's head over and talk to one of our members next. And uh, I'm signing off for today. Keep loving the world through flowers. Hi friends, I'm Dr. Heather Champney with Anchored in Flowers in Northeast Tennessee. We're a specialty cut flower farm on the campus of St. Mary's School. I work as a pediatric emergency room physician as well as facilitating this amazing project with our next generation of flower farmers. Starting a business is fraught with challenges that many of us recognize, but few are brave enough to tackle. And then there's an entrepreneurial life with flowers an industry that relies on so many uncontrollable factors, such as weather and pests, it can overwhelm us to the point of walking away. So starting a flower business with a group of 11-year-olds as business partners is an exercise in insanity, right? Well, it turns out it can be a stroke of genius. Our little school campus is tucked away on a beautiful swath of land in our city center, which rests in the southern Appalachian highlands of northeast Tennessee. This community is rich in its history of agriculture with a moderate climate, boasting four seasons, plenty of rain, and pretty reasonable soil. Folks in the region have been connected to the land from the beginning of time, but as with many things, that connection has evolved and dissolved for younger generations. I witnessed this in its rawest form in my work as a pediatric emergency room physician. The disconnect between what goes in our mouths and how we feel both physically and mentally, is profound and is directly related to that loss of connection to the land and how it serves us to provide us with healthy foods. Our little garden project was initially conceived as a small demo space for teachers to utilize as they saw fit in their classrooms, 
and to help reconnect our students to growing their own foods and flowers. While the intention was pure, we quickly realized that this was too cumbersome for a curriculum focused on traditional academic success and test scores, and frankly, fatigue from those amazing teachers charged with meeting all of those standards. The garden, which had been turned into a much bigger space due to the generosity of community volunteers, was floundering with a lack of consistent tending and no real long-term goal. The standard model of a school garden wasn't working for us anymore. We had to get creative and think out of the box if we were going to save our little plot. Through a series of conversations and brainstorming sessions, the idea for a cut flower farm was born. We knew we had to incorporate this into the curriculum with consistency and structure. We added the class to the schedule, and we set to work developing what would eventually be called Anchored in Flowers, our very own agribusiness. Over the three years of middle school, the students learned the ins and outs of entrepreneurship and the specifics of running a small farm. The students are responsible for all aspects of the agribusiness, from sowing seeds and harvesting to making bouquets. They develop marketing strategies, present to various stakeholders, and evaluate each step of the process. We started with a small on-campus CSA with just 10 members. We now have a robust CSA program, farmer's market stand, and seasonal products we offer to the general community. The founding members of Anchored and Flowers worked hard to fully fund their eighth grade trip, which was unfortunately impacted by COVID-19. Working with students presents a unique set of challenges, but all of those prove to be relatively small trade-offs for the final outcome. What these young people lack in experience, they make up for in creativity, enthusiasm, and joy, all unencumbered by the constraints of knowing too much. These students genuinely don't understand how to limit potential, and it is amazing to watch them tackle a problem or create a response to an opportunity. Here are a few quotes from students who just completed the program. All of them were founding members of the business, and they were exposed to every step of the process. Over the course of three years, I've learned many amazing skills about entrepreneurship, business, overcoming failure, hard work, financial organization, etc. When I go and get a job in the future, I can put on my resume that I've helped run a business and know valuable skills. Being a part of Anchored and Flowers has taught me how to grow flowers and make bouquets. It has taught me how to draw in customers and about sales pitching. One of the most important things Anchored and Flowers taught me was how to work with everyone and help to use the talents and abilities they have to help the group prosper. I have learned dedication and responsibility because of the things such as the farmer's market and having to do things such as videos, measurements, and agendas. I remember the first day of Anchored and Flowers. We came in and Coach Heather gave us a flower, and she asked us how we felt after receiving this flower. I remember that was the highlight of my day. I have learned so much from this business. I learned how to present in front of a large group of people, how to make a bouquet, which is actually harder than you think, and how to sell at the farmer's market. Those are just a few of the things I have learned, but I have learned so much more. Building this business has inspired me to keep pushing myself. While working on this business, we have faced many ups and downs, but in ways we were able to exceed past our hardship. As we began to build the business, it became a way for each of us to share our ideas and find creative solutions. Watching the business grow from creating the logo to selling our bouquets at the market was a rewarding experience. 
Over the last three years, I've learned a lot about creating a business, flower farming, and teamwork. So, what started as a small grant-funded garden project over six years ago has evolved into a productive and successful agribusiness, allowing our students to experience the process of owning a business while sharing the beauty and happiness of flowers with our community. Thanks for listening. You can find us over at teamflower.org for more resources like this one. And while you're there, check out the Team Flower Conference. That's where we all gather to learn and grow together. It is magic. You are magic. The work that you do with flowers matters. And we are so grateful for you. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. You're doing a good job. <laughs>